Hey, it's Clay. Welcome to another episode of the Money with Clay podcast. Today we're doing another just sit down, shoot the breeze type discussion with somebody that I've met through my other business actually, which kind of just goes to fit in nicely within our discussion where we talk about getting out there, networking, and when you just kind of put yourself out there, you actually start to form lots of neat little connections. And from those connections, lots of things can happen. And one of the things that's happened from that connection is I asked Jeff, hey, would you be one to come on this podcast? You've, you're doing a lot of good things. You've done a lot of good things. You, you've built a nice business for yourself, um, which he has now since sold. But a lot of, you know, Jeff is a hustler. Jeff is a go-getter. And he started from very little. He had lots of bumps along the way, but he is, like I said, he, he built himself a nice business. And I don't want to get into the numbers here without spoiling it. But let me say there, there's some big numbers that he was working with, you know, with, within the, the audio and sound systems um, that he was installing for, for people. And, you know, that's kind of the niche that he found for himself. But a lot of good learning lessons about how when you put yourself out there, when you're willing to work, when you're willing to just provide value to somebody, when you're, when you're willing and able to structure a win-win type deal, lots of the pieces just fall right into place. So with that being said, let's sit down and hear about Jeff and his story. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks, Clay. Happy to be now, here. We just actually talked, uh, what was it, like last week for the other podcast that I have. Correct. And in that podcast, you were, you were making comments about all these things, and I'm like, oh, wow, that sounds really interesting. I want to talk about more of that, but it didn't quite fit fully into uh, you know, the Clay Trader podcast. So immediately afterwards, I said, hey, would you be willing to come on Money with Clay? Because I, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on for you and stuff in the past that people can learn from, people can be motivated by and inspired by. So um, I appreciate uh, you you being here. And you are, as I told you before we got recording, we're kind of still in guinea pig mode. And um, But we're just going to kind of laid back conversation. I, I have some broad questions for you and stuff like that. But, you know, wherever that leads us, uh, we shall see. So I guess the, the first question for me is, I know you were, you're in uh, uh, the audio, the, the, the sound, all that kind of business. That's what you built up. But I mean, where did all that, did, did you have a degree in this sort of stuff? Or how did you get into kind of the, the, the business that you're in? Gotcha, gotcha. Or that you, that you built? Okay. Um, my background on that is, so when I was young, like 100 years ago, when I was like 15, 14, 15, in fact, before that. So my earliest recollection of electronic stuff is my parents bought me a kit on electricity, you know, and it, this was so long ago, you know, it came with a cassette tape. Uh, it wasn't a track at least, but it came with a cassette tape. And <laughs> I do know what a cassette tape is, so that's good. <laughs> you know, and these little uh, experiments, you know, it was one of those experiment kit. You used to be able, I guess you still can probably, but, and I remember I used to have it in, uh, play it every night and it was a guy and it would talk about all kinds of electronic stuff. And then it would talk about the Faraday and all that stuff. And then there'd be these cool sound effects and it was like lightning striking in the background or something. So that was my early, um, things and my parents you know and that's a good thing i try to keep in mind now with my kids i know you got a lot of kids too and it's you never and, and i've kind of got the the advantage now is i've got two that are older i've got two in college and i've got two that are one going into first grade and one that's still in preschool so i've got a wide range it's almost <clears throat> it's where i can kind of learn from the old ones of the mistakes or, or their point of view of the mistakes and kind of apply it now but one of the funny things i learned was 
the little stuff that you think doesn't mean anything affects them so you know can affect them so much you know um do you have an example of that because as a parent hmm. I, I like your data i like your data range you have like you said older ones and then you have some younger ones so as yeah. someone with a bunch of younger ones i mean what are some of these things that you thought were small and didn't make any difference but yet here you are finding out it did make a difference right yeah well i was talking to my son the other day what was it it was just something kind of ridiculous he's here i ought to ask him um <laughs> You know, it, I'm, I'm on the spot trying to remember a specific thing, but it was. Um, it's fine yeah, if you can. I yeah. was just curious. That's, I mean, yeah, maybe a, it'll come up to yeah, you I'm later on. That. But uh, so, yeah, I'll, but, put it, I'll put. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll write that down and try to remember on it. Um, but yeah, so I mean, you you learned about uh, your your kids and little things that you. So I'm I'm assuming that your parents that was just one of the little things that they did for you that turned out to be pretty big in your overall journey correct yeah that was something and then i was always interested in electronics uh there was a store in the mall you know when used to still go to malls and uh you know i walked by and it was uh i can't remember the name of the place now audio something but you know i'd go radio shack no well it used i, hey, oh. I spent actually I, I bought my first system from radio shack um <laughs> who is now gone by the yeah, way yeah just history you know, r.i.p right? Yeah, that is history in the books. So, you know, I would walk by and I'd always go in there and I just remember the excitement, you know, and it was the, I always liked messing with electronics. So I bought a, I bought a, like a, an equalizer that had the dance, you know, the graphic EQs, he has the dancing lights and all that stuff. And uh, I mean, my room was small, you know, it was like, I don't know. 12 by 12 or something, whatever, you know, and I had these two big radio shack towers in there and I blasted, I could, you know, and so that was, that was, that was the early on, uh, electronic stuff. Um, and then that, that progressed into cars, which is funny enough, still to this day, kind of the two things I mess with are cars and, and electronics. So that's how it kind of, it kind of progressed into that. So you, I mean, did you go to, school for any of this stuff do you have a degree in like i don't know audio engineer i mean what what was kind of the next step that you know just kind of kept you on this path with your big interest in electronics okay so uh, as far as schooling goes i barely got out of high school that's my that's my uh education level from uh professional education uh hated school didn't like being there uh i'm a big proponent now i'm talking with some friends of mine, one that teaches stuff and um, uh, teaches in a community college, but talking about vocational practices and how that's really a big thing that we need to, uh, you know, need to beef up in the country that that's missing is uh, people having a, you know, option besides just regular class, you know, whether it be shop. Yeah, exactly. We're in a trade. Definitely in very, very bad need of uh, having something else to fall back on because everything isn't going to be the service industry and uh, you know, all these other stuff. We're just missing the, the qualifications for a lot of these manufacturing jobs and everything. So everybody's not going to be a doctor or a lawyer or you know, whatever. So No, absolutely. It's, it's, it's funny. I, this doesn't mean much to you because I know um, at the time of the recording of this, the previous uh, with Paul interview hasn't come out. But, you know, um, it's Paul... 
hated math, he wasn't very good at school, and now he runs a company with eight employees. <laughs> and here you are saying you barely got through high school, you weren't a big fan of school, and you know I, I kind of know where all this is, is heading. So that's kind of, that's two in a row now where people, it's not like uh, last week Paul and then you, know, you, Jeff, sitting here saying that they were you know, A-plus students and love school and all this sort of stuff. So it, uh, there's a trend developing here, it seems like, that school is part of it, yeah. I mean, you gotta be able to count and read and stuff like that, but it's it's almost a limited role. So, it's, am I said say you did not go to college then? Right, so what I, my, my college education experience is I went to community college for a semester and then I did some online stuff for, you know, a couple semesters type of thing and uh, that's it. So, I, I recommend, so, you know, if you have, a talent or an ambition or something, you know, if you go and you talk to people in sports and, and all that stuff too, or anyone that's been successful in something you want to do, it's usually because they work at it and they, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean they had to go to school for it, but, you know, practicing and just and working at it. And um, so probably my only regret or something I would have liked to have done or probably should have done is some sort of, business schooling, even if it was just some general stuff that would have helped me out from making some of the mistakes I made, you know, because I would learn about it and had a little more knowledge on that end. So maybe not, I don't think schooling would have helped with the career I went into, but it might would have helped on the business side, just having a little bit more, uh, a little more knowledge. Uh, right. You know, training on that. Have end. you prepared you a little bit more? Yeah, yeah. So okay, uh, you took college classes. So did you graduate with any degrees or no, anything? No, no, no. Or was it, was, it, just, it was very okay. Yeah, very small. Uh, just went because I was, you know, it was expected of me kind of to go do something. Uh, so I was going to community college, and I was also working. Uh, I had a little bit different opportunity than like the, the town I grew up in was a big uh, mill town. You know, a lot of textiles, uh, Burlington Industries. Uh, Glen Raven Mills, you can still see some of their trucks. It's like it says Sunbrella. They were the ones that invented that. Uh, the fabric that doesn't fade in the sunlight. So, you know, our town had a lot of that. So this was 1990, and I was making around $10 an hour then. Uh, oh, whoa, that's that's solid then. Yeah. So, you know, and there were a lot, so there was a lot, of, a lot of that in my town. There was a lot of guys my age, you know, around 18 to early 20s that were making you know good money working in textiles and then uh, so I was working so I was working at the textile plant it was a uh, cutting edge at the time they had brought in all these uh, machines from Italy and set those up and just the way they were doing everything and that's one of the only textiles that's still around is that plant and uh, where are, where are you geographically or where did all this take okay. place yeah I'm in, I'm in North Carolina uh, okay, cool. So, right. So now I live very, I basically live in Raleigh, uh, you know, in the capital. And this was taking place in a little town called Burlington, which is about 45 minutes west of here. And uh, Okay. And, yeah. and this was all why you were, were you doing these college classes? Why are you working in the factory? Yeah. Did the factory come after yeah. you? Would t okay. No, it was right. kind of hand in hand then? Right. So did that. Um, you know, like I said, I've always been interested in the car stuff too. And my first car was a 67 Camaro. And uh, we changed the engine out of that and put a V8 in it because it came with a little, it was a little inline six, uh, 67 Camaro. So put the V8 in it, put a stereo system in it. Uh, there was a local, little local uh, audio shop that I used to go down to a lot. And then, so I was working at, at Glen Raven Mills, uh, third shift. 
didn't do any more of the community college. And then when I would get off work, I was going to uh, basically the area where some would consider like the projects of the town, right? So I would go there and hang out with some people and install car stereos for them, make some extra, make some extra money that way. And then uh, eventually get some sleep and, and all that stuff so that, that went on for a while. And then uh, the, I was cut. I don't know if it was because the guy thought I was good or because I was cutting into his profits or both or what, but I uh, ended up being offered a job uh, doing the car stereo. And I tried to from somebody in that yeah, same neighborhood area in the same town, right? Same town. Okay. This is not a huge that sounds town. like a buyout to me. It sounds like <laughs> it, this kid's cutting into my profits. So I won't call it a buyout. I'll just call it a let me buy his time by hiring him. Uh, yeah. As a, as a, that's how that's good. But so did you learn how to do this car stereo stuff back from your childhood or is that just something you kind of picked up over the years because you just enjoyed electronics so uh, much? Where did the skill actually come from? Yeah, I picked it up because I liked it. Uh, definitely got better at it once I was working in a shop, you know, more, you know, doing more cars every day and more experience. And of course, learning from the other guys that were there and some of their experience, uh, you know, so all that went hand in hand. Uh, so I tried. But what I, what I find interesting, and hope, sorry not to no, cut you off, yeah. but you know this is the stuff. That's the whole point of this yeah. is if you're younger, or really I guess if you're any age, think about what Jeff's saying is he had a normal job, but he had this passion for electronics and electronics, and that passion he was like, hey, I, I now know how to, or I should learn how to s- install stereo system for cars. So after his normal job, he went to do something that he enjoyed. And he started to make money for doing something that his, you know, hobby of electronics led him to. And all of a sudden, you parlayed that into, like you were just saying, an actual job. And now you're learning, uh, you're working in an actual shop and learning from actual people. So right. I think that's really cool. I think that's pretty awesome. How all this kind of came about by you just well doing a side hustle at first. Right, I mean, right. there there really wasn't anything magical about it besides you just deciding, you know, what, I'm going to do a little bit more work after my normal job is done. So I, before, you know, you pick things back up in the shop, when did your normal job end? Like what time-ish, give or take? So you mean like physically, like the actual time of day? Yeah, I mean like, okay. did you work like, was it a nine yeah, to five yeah, yeah. and then from five to 10 you were doing, you know, this the, the side right, hustle or right. what sort of? I, gotcha. Yeah, this was a third shift job. So this was go in at 11 p.m., get off at 7 a.m., uh, oh my! And then go over. I love it. Then, and then you know, grab some breakfast. Go over to the car audio shop, which started uh, uh, started about ten. I think it was like bankers hours. I remember that it was like ten a.m. So go in there and then uh, uh, work there to like four, and then try to get some sleep and then go in. So that didn't last too long. And the the supervisor at the plant uh, brought me in. And he was like you know, you're tired more now, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, I'm working this other job. And he's like, you know, you're going to have to choose. Uh, and, you know, which I made a lot more money at the mill than I did doing the car stereo. But, you know, I, I liked the car stereo and I saw more of, for some reason at the time anyway, I saw more of a future in it. Uh, so I said, well, I'm, I'm going to do that. So I left there and went to doing the car stereo stuff full time. So you pick the passion over the better paying job. Am I understanding yes, that right? Yes, that's exactly right. That's awesome. It's awesome because I do know where all this goes. So I mean, there's I'm I'm seeing little wow that that made a difference. I'm because I wonder where your journey would have gone had you just picked kind of the safe choice in terms of the better paying job. I mean, maybe you'd be in a totally different spot right now in life. Maybe you want it, but it seems like that was almost a pretty pivotal 
decision in your journey was, you know, which, which way are you going to go on those crossroads? It was. And another thing that happened, actually, I ought to back up just a little bit. So another thing that made a big difference in my life is, um, so growing up, I thought I'd go in the Navy. That's really where I thought I was going to do. My grandfather had been in the Navy, you know, uh, blah, blah, blah. So I thought that was going to be. So I even went to the MEP Center, which is the, you know, when you're processing to go in. And you go there really early in the morning and get there, and there's, you know, another couple hundred guys like you in there, and you go through all the, uh, you know, various testing and all this crap all through the day. And it got down to, the end of the day, I mean, I've been processed, passed, the whole deal, and you go in and you pick your job and you sign the dotted line and you're enlisted. I mean, I was going. And I was supposed to be going in on the nuclear training side. So you go to Salt Lake City and you enlist then the Navy. I don't know if it's still like this, but the Navy was three years instead of four uh, when you enlist, but you actually enlisted. This was six years instead of three. So you had to do two terms because you were going to spend like a lot of it doing what they call, you know, nuke school. So you go and learn how to work on the reactors and all that stuff. So that's what I was supposed to do. Got up there, nuke school's full. All they had was uh, fire control, which, you know, sitting back and plotting and shooting off the missiles and all that stuff. And remember, this is right before the first Iraq war, right before. Okay. And uh, I was like, no, nah, that's not what I want to do, all that. So I didn't sign up. And, uh, you know, that was it. So uh, that's how close yeah, so talk about I, I would agree. That was another one of those <laughs> decisions where you never know where that one would have taken you. But uh, yeah, interesting. But yeah. Anyway, just side note. So, yeah, so a lot, a lot of little things when you look back, obviously, you can see all the different obvious roads you, know, you made the decision. But. Yeah. So anyway, so you picked. You yeah. picked. I wanna. I want the the passion. I want to yeah. go continue to work with the car stereo. So I mean, where did where did things go from that point? So worked there for let's see, quite a few. I mean, it was a while. Probably. Uh, well, I worked well. I worked there a long time because of what happens next. So I was there a couple of years or so. Uh, the owner was not. He he was really good. And I was really good at sales. We were really good at selling the product, getting people to to you know spend money. Uh, not as good at he wasn't as good at the you know growing the business or uh, saving money that kind of thing. And uh, so it finally came down to a point where he was going to close up shop. So he was going to close up shop. I went to the uh, the lady that owned the building actually lived behind the building it's it was uh, on a real busy street you know the shop had been built by her husband uh quite a few years prior and this had grown into the main street of the of the whole town but it just happened to be that her house was you know behind it was built on a corner so it was on the next next street okay but i mean it was a nice it was a nice i mean this was this guy's shop but it was nice it was like uh five bays on one side, a middle retail area, and then a couple bays on the other side. And it was, you know, 4,000 square feet or whatever. And so I went to her and rented the building and opened up my own shop in the same place. And uh, so rolled that for till around 90. So, so you, was, was your boss, did he quit? Or was yeah. he pretty much done? Okay, so yeah, yeah, yeah. He's gone. By the time he's, you open up your right. shop, it's he. You know, he was kaput. His business was yeah, gone right. then. 
Yeah, yeah. His business okay, was okay. gone. He w- he was done. Uh, so he left. Uh, so I opened up shop in the same place. Did that for for a while. Uh, then well, I'm, I, I love building businesses. So you opened up shop as in like you alone or did you have some people that you brought in with you? I mean, what were the, the starting dynamics there of you just opening up your own shop? Yes, it was just me at the time. So... Okay. Yeah. So went, wow, nice. Yeah, went to the vendors. Um, so I knew the vendors. So one thing that pops up, you know, this is more information for probably good information for this podcast. So a lot of times, uh, you know, having a lot of times people with money will buy out other companies that are existing for a reason because they've already already done the hard work and set up vendors and have some sort of history to go off of that kind of thing. But if you're starting out a business on your own, you know, one of the things that, you know, you need to figure out is, Hey, like in this particular business, where am I going to buy product from? You know, how much should I sell it for all those kind of things. And so I had the advantage of that because I'd worked in the industry and, um, you know, knew who the vendors were and everybody. So, uh, set up through all those guys, so I could continue to do business with them and, uh, kind of kept, you know, business as usual and, went down that road yeah let me let me ask you this because this okay. will uh, this came up in the, the previous um, interview that I did but it sounds to me like you know this wasn't overnight you started off I'm assuming when you first you know started working there you were probably doing grunt work you were probably down towards the bottom of the totem pole is is that right a pretty fair assumption on my part yeah okay because I mean we were discussing uh, last week with Paul was, and his point at, from, as an, from an employer standpoint is a lot of times people t- show up too much and they just want all like the glory and glamour and it's like, no, you have to start mm-hmm. at the bottom of the totem pole. You have to start doing the grunt work and the grunt work though, gets your foot in the door, it starts to give you experience and it's gonna give you, you know, knowledge like you just explained. Where do you buy stuff? How much do you sell it for? Just how does the business work in general? So would you agree with the statement that um, there's a lot more value in grunt work than just maybe the, the paycheck that shows up because if you listen and observe, you can gain a lot of experience that could be leveraged later on in, in your career. Is that a, would you agree with that sentiment? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So. Okay, because that's uh, two times in a row now where we've had people that build something for themselves. They started at the bottom of the totem pole. Like they literally were doing grunts, they were doing the mule work and you know, things, um, but I mean, it totally paid off for you in the sense of now you're on your own, starting your own thing, but you knew all sorts of the little you know nooks and crannies that somebody like myself that's never been in the business, I would have no idea where to start. So I mean, um, you would advocate, hey, the younger listener out there, it's there's no shame in starting at the bottom of the totem pole, right? You would encourage that? Oh, definitely, right. Yeah, and you know, that's probably some of the differences. You know, if you're, you know, if you go to college for something particular and then you get out, you know, you expect to start a company and you still have to work your way up, but you know, you're probably yep. looking for a specific type of job or something like that. And, you know, whereas in vocational work, uh, where you've learned a trade skill, uh, you know, you're as good as your experience. Right. So, or, and how, Oh, that's a great quote, you know, however good you are. So get out there and, you know, you've got to put in time and, and there's, uh, one of the things I've learned with the craftsman side of things is, you know, those people are usually, most most of the time they want to share with you and they want to learn you know teach somebody younger kind of pass on the trade so uh but yeah it's definitely a different dynamic you know you go into that you've got to 
or I believe it's a different dynamic. I guess I don't have that exciting experience of going into, uh, you know, going just coming out of school and going to work for Google or Microsoft or somebody. But um, yeah, you got to got to start somewhere. Don't expect to start. Well, I mean, I I, I can talk. I, I will talk on that point of view. Yeah, coming out of school with as an engineer with a degree. I mean, even I was at the bottom of the totem pole. I mean, not quite at the bottom. I was in charge of, you know, the machine shop operators. But from that point of view, that's even a little intimidating because it's like, how am I supposed to be in charge of these guys that have been working these machines for 20, 30, 40 years? So it's it's definitely, you know, uh, everybody's got little kind of fine lines that you have to have to walk. But, um, you know, it, it, as far as I think in anywhere in life, you coming out at the bottom of the totem pole or you coming out with a degree or no degree, I mean, you can't just show up and walk on like you own the place. I right. mean, you got to give, ex like you said, you're only as good as your experience. I don't think any situation could be summed up any better than that. So, um, yeah, that, that's good stuff. And I just want to kind of get that across for you younger listeners out there. No shame. Even if you're older, that's fine. If you're starting a new career way or pathway, you got to start somewhere. And if you got to start by doing something just to get your foot in the door, well, that's where that you know just start to observe, and I, a lot of good things can come to those that are willing to observe and then uh, work hard with it. So you start this shop, you're all by yourself. Um, you do have the connections and stuff like that, which is good. So I mean, do you just start calling these people up, or where is kind of your your next step in terms of getting this business off the ground that you've uh, just started? Yeah, well, so at this time, you know, I'm young, and you know, I, th I think I know. How old? Out of curiosity. Let's see. Uh, let's see, ninety around ninety four. So. I was, 22, 23, probably 22. Oh, nice. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So awesome. 22-year-old <laughs> starting a business. I love it. All right. Keep on going. <laughs> yeah. So I'm young. think I know everything, you know. And uh, <laughs> Well, you, you got to have, you almost have to have that ignorant confidence about yourself or else you would have never started the business oh, in the definitely. first place. So, I mean, <laughs> it's definitely kind of a catch-22. <laughs> I might, hold on. That's a, I'm writing that down. Ignorance, Ignorant confidence, then that the truth. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. I just made it up. No, I think I like that makes it. sense, but all right. All right cool. name a business that. Um, <laughs> so, hey, I want royalties if royalties you do you after it, it goes big. Perfect. <laughs> oh, Amazon's getting killed. Anyway, um, yeah, I don't know about your screen, but mine's all red today. So uh, anyway, so yeah, so I'm doing that. So my mistake, because this business ends up a failure, okay? And... The reason for that is I did not diversify, right? So what I did was I only, usually when I do something, I only like doing the best. I don't like doing the mundane stuff. And unfortunately in business, the quote unquote mundane cookie cutter stuff is usually what pays the overhead. And, you know, so what I mean by that is, so let's say I'm doing a, at that time doing a car stereo system and, you know, guy rolls in and he wants a lot of bass, you know, everybody then, there's still some now, but I mean, everybody then was just, you know, rolling around, boom, 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 you know, and, you know <laughs> shake, yep, shaking yep. everywhere. Uh, yes. So, you know, those roll in and I do a big system in a guy's car and he spends 10 grand and, you know, I'm in my happy place as I'm putting that together. And let's say it, you know, let's say profit was, four grand or something before overhead and everything, but like just off the materials. And then, you know, but then that ties up, you know, it's a big job. It ties you up for two weeks or whatever versus the guys across the street who moved into town, you know, Best Buy, he come to town at that time. They had, uh, I want to say, am I wrong in saying car toys was owned by them? That might not be the right connection. I'm going to be 
be wrong on that. It was Car Toys that moved to town. But, uh, you know, they're over there working for the dealerships and they're putting security systems in or they're putting in, you know, swapping out a radio because it didn't come with a CD player and the customer wanted that or whatever. You know, and they're doing four or five of those a day and they're making a hundred bucks a pop and they're making, you know, they're making a lot more money than in the same amount of time. So, uh, that was a, that was a mistake. I put all my, all my eggs in one basket. You know, a lot of the people that, uh, were doing these big systems had questionable income and, uh, you know, that kind of all went away and business dried up in the town because people with expendable income weren't as prevalent as they were before. And I didn't have any of the, uh, uh, dealership business. And so things kind of dried up close shop. That was probably 90, it was right before my first son was born. So, so this is 97. Okay, yeah. so it sounds like when you say diversification, you just meant diversification, diversification in terms of customer base. Correct, correct, yeah. You, you were just, you weren't, you didn't focus on trying to get any dealerships or anything. You were just, you know, I, I don't need them. Let me just focus on, on this customer type. Right. And that, that's what ultimately got you. Am I understanding that, that right? That's correct. Okay, cool. So, you know, that's a great business lesson as, uh, I mean, for in the stock market, you obviously hear of diversification of make sure you do a bunch of different stocks or several different mutual funds or index funds. But in business right here, customer bases are something that uh, you wanna make sure to diversify in. So, exactly. well, yeah, nice little business learning lesson there. Uh, so you closed down shop. Uh, did you go pick up a, a regular job from there? Or what, where yeah. did you go from that point? Yeah, so it was an interesting summer. So we remember how this all went. Okay, so I, uh, I was still messing, you know, I was messing with race cars a little bit then too, but it was just my own car, you know. And uh, so I went and there was a guy that was gonna start framing houses. So I built a couple of houses over the summer, to, you know, framed them up, helped with that, uh, just to kind of make ends meet. Uh, got married that August. Uh, kid came in in uh, January. And so I had a friend that, still friends with today. He's one of my best lifelong friends. And he was uh, out of a town called Ashboro. It's where the big zoo is here for North Carolina. It's a real big zoo anyway. So that's where everybody knows Ashboro that lives here. But uh, went down there. And uh, so his family owned chicken farms and well, farms in general. They had chickens and cows. So his dad had a big farm. They would raised like 60,000 chickens at a time. And I don't know, he had like 50, more than that, close to a hundred head of cattle. And uh, so he had a little house on the property and they were looking for somebody to, uh, to run it. And my friend Richard's house was across the street. He had a shop, had a race car shop and all that stuff. So I went in there and started running a chicken farm. <laughs> No, you know, no experience doing that. Totally different than obviously anything I had ever thought I'd be doing. Uh, but the nice thing about it was the house was included. Utilities were included. Plus, I got paid some money every week, uh, except for when it was selling time, which was roughly every two months. You uh, worked about, got up early, worked a couple hours in the morning, and then worked an hour or so in the evenings. But your whole day was free. So I really worked about three hours a day and you know had, and this was just you said just operating the chicken farm yeah 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 I, well operating you know it was a, 
there's a lot to it, but it, overall, for for me anyway, it was a pretty simple process. What happens? You know, you got you. I don't know where you're at if you've seen them, but have you seen chicken houses? Uh, Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, just a house just filled with chickens as, yeah, so, to the gills, right? So yeah, so it's a couple. You know, you got a building that's rectangular that's a couple hundred feet long, and basically you created a controlled environment inside it where you can open partitions because, of course, the chickens start real small and. You know, and you can, uh, and there's all these waters and feeders, and you've got uh, fans on one end that pull in air through a radiator and keep it a controlled temperature and humidity. And uh, your goal was to grow the biggest chicken you can with the less amount of uh, feed and uh, electricity and, you know, cost, less cost per pound of chicken. Yeah, you wanted to <laughs> grow chickens efficiently, literally. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yep. <laughs> and all at the same time, you know, keeping uh not being inhumane and getting into trouble on that end and uh yeah there you go see i bet you didn't expect that one coming easy yeah i did not know you had anything to do with chicken farming (laughs) and i didn't know that you were ever cared about the science of growing chickens efficiently so this there's always something to learn about people this is good stuff (laughs) yeah so that was uh so i went and did that and like i said it it allowed me to uh, provide a place for my family to be at uh, that was covered every month and uh, then I could walk across the street, work at the race car shop. Uh, didn't take long for me to start, excuse me, doing some stereo systems for people, you know, because people that have fast street cars and run around, they want, you know, radios too. So, uh, quickly started kind of building myself back up a little bit. Uh, and then we decided to, uh, rent a building that was out on the main thoroughfare and started doing, who is we uh richard richard my, my buddy that was across the street and his okay, dad's okay. farm and all so richard and i went in uh we started uh there was a building put up on 64 highway 64 is the main thoroughfare there and built race cars and did car stereos again uh so did that is it sounds yeah. like is the car stereo that's what you kind of brought to the business then right, before yeah. you would show it up there was no car stereo that's is correct. that pretty much how that yeah okay so yeah. You, you, that skill had allowed you to contribute to a business and because of that you were helping to grow that business so okay that's correct. That, good stuff yeah so that's where that came in uh did that for a while let's see I had another child that was my second son was born in 99 and uh yeah, and you know, did that for a while, and then uh, let's see, I'd moved, so I wasn't doing the farm anymore. I was just concentrating on that, uh, and then Richard offered to buy me out in two thousand. So he bought me out, uh, and I was living in this little little town called Liberty, North Carolina. Uh, you know, before like, you before yeah. you go, it's it's not is. If he bought you out, I mean, he wouldn't want to do that if the business wasn't necessary, if the business was doing terrible. So, I mean, right. it sounds like you guys built something pretty pretty solid then. Yeah, built, built a good business. Um, he, there was another guy in town that was, because uh, I was wanting to move away from Ashburn. I was going more towards back to where I'd grown up. Gotcha. And uh, and so, yeah, so, so he had an opportunity for someone to come in and run it. So, bought me out. Uh, I went back to, went to Liberty, um, started looking for what I was going to do next. And 
in the middle of that got divorced um, and you know went on this this newish thing called the internet and uh, you know did my little dial up into uh, monsterjobs.com and Aha, good old monster <laughs> and I put on there that I was uh, you know one of my skills with wiring you know, of course and I got a uh, job offer and went to work for a company in Durham, North Carolina that was doing uh, commercial automation systems. And the product, main product they saw was they sold was called Crestron. And I went to work for them through a temp agency. And uh, uh, that was my first exposure outside of you know the car stereo uh car world you know, kind of in the in the corporate because everything they they did work for the duke university north carolina university um you know some other various commercial commercial areas and it was all systems that control like back up a lot of what would happen in universities is you know you go in the classrooms and what are they there for they're for learning you know we have a lot of uh, uh you know we've got a lot of uh, hospitals here you know famous hospitals and everything and so we would go in and mic up they would have rooms that you know, the doctors wore mics and there were cameras and they had monitors so we hung these massive you know 400 pound 32 inch tvs you know because flat monitors weren't really big yet and uh you know we set those up and uh you know so they could record and then uh, students could learn from them and uh you know so i got into doing that business or as a, that's yeah I, yeah I just I just dawned on me but yeah I forget I, I take for granted now the nice flat panel TVs and mm. stuff that are out there but that wasn't always the case and I remember when my parents first got a flat screen it wasn't quite a flat screen yet I mean that thing was a monster so uh yeah 400 pounds I can I can fully believe that that's you know, <laughs> it was cl- it might not have been that much they were heavy right and you had these big mounts you put together and the TV would sit oh, on yeah, it yeah. I can only imagine oh, we had to use you know Unistra I mean it was just crazy so I was you know I was the new guy there came in you know most of my life at this point except for you know a few stints here and there you know I, I worked a lot for myself so it was a little different deal but got in learned a lot with them uh, they were cutting edge. I was very fortunate to have gotten into a company because there are plenty of companies that do stuff incorrectly and mess it all up and do a crappy job. But these guys were top notch, um, did a great job, and I would have stayed there, but it was it was hired on as a temporary position for the summer, um, and they wanted to keep me, but they only bringing in so many. You know, they were growing slowly and they only had so many people and they had already brought a guy in that was getting out of the air force that was going to come work. So now so the name of their company was a contact with a K I'm going to write that down because I'm going to, this ties in years later, but, um, so work for them and then knew I was leaving. So I went to work for a, uh, a company called, uh, now audio video. And I worked in the, 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 uh, not the mundane side. The, the they called it a uh, there was a division name for it. I can't remember right now, but it custom uh, custom side. So they had a whole custom division. So you would go into this. Uh, they ended up being bought out by Tweeter. I don't know if you've heard of them, which I'm pretty sure they're gone now too. But imagine the Best Buy of 
the early 2000s. Okay. Right. So you would go in there, Circuit City and all those guys. It was a lot like that. So you'd go in. Okay. You go in, you buy your stuff like, hey, well, I need some way to put it in now. Well, so that's where we came in. So basically kept doing what I was doing. And uh, I'd gone, but they were, I mean, they were okay. They weren't cutting edge or anything. It was just a job. And then I was going down to Charlotte, North Carolina, to uh, do a training on multimedia because every house that got built then that the clients wanted to be able to have network and cable TV, you know, usually we just have your coax ran around, you know, they had this big cable, it's called multimedia cable and it was two cat, I don't even know if it was cat five, then I guess it was two cat five and two coaxes and you run it in all the rooms and you go back to a main panel and Hey, you were connected then you were going to be able to just put whatever network you want in your house and whatever. Right. So Anyway, I was going to a training class for that, and uh, they gave out a magazine in the class. And I looked in the back of the magazine, and there was this company out of uh, Raleigh that was hiring. That was uh, no fast forward. There was a company out of Greensboro that was hiring, and uh, they said all they did was custom work. So I called them up, got a job, worked there for a while, uh, and that was same thing as what I'd gotten into with Crestron, except for this was the residential side of things. Okay. So got my exposure there to high end homes. You know, these houses, most of the people are spending, you know, the clients are spending anywhere from $100,000 to, you know, well up five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars on AV, on audio That's video, <laughs> wow, on audio video and lighting control and stuff like that. And it was, uh, you know, it was cutting edge. And so I was happy and, you know, we're doing that stuff. And, uh, got to meet a lot of people, uh, that were, you know, famous, got to meet a lot of famous people, of course, the people with expendable income. So meeting a lot of famous people, me and, but also meeting a lot of people that were, uh, aside from famous, like I said, around here, you know, NASCAR, I did stuff for uh, Bobby Labonte and did stuff for Richard Childress, who was, and uh, when I did Richard Childress house, it was when Earnhardt got killed and he was, uh, the team, the owner of the team. So that sucked, but you know, a lot of, a lot of people like that, but also the next people that, that, uh, could afford what we did were consultants. I mean, that was the next, like I said, next to people that are getting paid money to be an athlete and something consultants were the, the top paid people, consultants and then CEOs and, you know, down the line, which I, you know, which is what maybe want to be a consultant later, but, uh, they, uh, uh, so that was pretty cool for a while. Uh, I used to go out. Actually, this is when I got the divorce and all that stuff was being finaled. You know, I said earlier, I started getting separated. It was ugly early, but this was my first marriage really took a long, it was so ugly for a few years and distracting, uh, you know, while you're trying to, trying to carry on a career and make money and all that stuff. You got everything else going on. But, um, so did that for a while. And then there was a company in Raleigh that was considered the echelon. You know, it was the top company to work for. And uh, so I went to work for them. Um, now, when you say I went and worked for them, did you, you just flat out quit these other jobs you're at and yeah. apply there? Or, right. or, well, no, or no, were no, you put, applying to these? Yes, I applied. Go ahead. I, you know, I applied to them, put in my two weeks, all that stuff. And okay. so at this last company, the last, I guess that's the, yeah, the last company I've actually worked for and got a paycheck for not, you know, because I've been self-employed since 
2003 ish, 2000, early 2004. So I went to work for this company and initially I didn't get hired on because I was asking for too much, what they considered too much money. And so he wanted me to work as a um, subcontractor and see how it worked out. So I worked for as a subcontractor for two or three months got hired on full time was doing the same thing I'd been doing, but you know, usually I would get in somewhere and excel pretty fast. Cause I you know, cared about what I was doing and showed up and, and that's half the battle. And, um, and then, so they were hiring out someone to do their Crestron program because the, the equipment comes is a, it was a touch screen and a black box and, these components, but when it came in, it was, you know, it didn't do anything on its own. It's not like now where you could just open something that works, right? You had to program it and make, tell it to do what you wanted to do. And so they were hiring outside to do that. And I was like, you know, I'd had exposure to that, but I'd never actually. I was going to say, I, I could have sworn you, you were in Crestron earlier on in your experience and journey. Right. So I, I but like I, can, I can see where the, some leverage may come into play here. Yeah, but I'd never really programmed it for the companies, you know? And so I was like, yeah, I can do that. So they put me on a job to do. It's like, oh shit, I better learn this now. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, the, I looked into it and the company had what they call modules. So, which is pretty prevalent, 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 and prevalent, prevalent, I think prevalent, 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 prevalent. I think. that's there it. We go. Yeah. There I'm we ma- go. Massacring that word. So prevalent. And, um, so what they had done is, they had, you know, you have modules in software. So if there's a piece of it that you always use, you just save it as a module, then you can bring it back in and reuse it's more efficient, yada, yada. So they had a lot of that stuff and I reverse engineered it and figured out how it worked. And I think I spent a month at somebody's house that nowadays I would have spent a week and, uh, you know, built the system up. And so that's, that's how I got into the programming side. And then I did get some training so they do their own trainings and you become what they call gold certified eventually, you know, and all that. So um, you go out of town for a week at a time and you go to classes. And so I did do that uh, for the software side. So I learned that and stayed there. And uh, but and they'd hired me on at this point, I'm making 17 bucks an hour. It's 2000. You know, I was at a job when 9-11 happened and uh because I remember I had to, you know, there was nothing was working in the house yet because we're the guys putting in the TV and the radio, right? And uh, one of my, my friend Richard actually called me and told me about it. So I got it playing on BBC is how we heard about it from their point of view. But um, so I was there around 2001, 2002, you know, making 17 bucks an hour. Uh, and But it just wasn't growing. It wasn't going anywhere. And, uh, you know, every, but everybody that worked at that place at that time, was top of the top of the field right i mean we had nobody that really sucked maybe one or two people out of like 40 people and uh everybody cared about what they're doing and we're working hard and all that but then the the uh owner of that company brought in somebody you know and started turning it more corporate side just looking at profits rather than um rather than people and uh, and not like nowadays, they're still open now, but they're, uh, you know, all the people are long gone and it's, uh, not near the customer service it used to be and all that. So they kind of, you know, went the other direction from 
didn't keep the customer service side up. So that didn't go in. That was, I'd seen that kind of coming and seen it was, I was at a cliff on that. So that's when I went out on my own. And, um, you know, like I said, that was the last, last time I really got a paycheck from anywhere. It was, yeah, it was about 2004. So you, you Smith, that was the last time you ever got a paycheck. And so that's, like you said, you started your own thing from that point again. I mean, did you, how did that go? Did you start something out of your house? Did you run an office space? Yeah. Where no. did this whole starting it by yourself? Because I mean, now we're at, it sounds like pure entrepreneurship mode if you haven't had a paycheck to you since then. So I mean, where did it all start? You know, how did you try this? Because we're at 2.0, right? You've, that yeah. first business you started, you know, you, you learned a lot, didn't work out, but this is the second one. So I mean, how did this one all start for you? Yeah, so this deal, so to begin with, uh, while I was working for one of the earlier companies, I had met a guy, I think I talked about him in the first podcast we ever did together, but um, I met a guy, he was a self-made uh, multimillionaire doing trading, uh, and he had worked for First Boston and some other people and ended up going out on his own and uh, made a lot of money during the, you know, right before the tech bubble and all that kind of stuff. So uh, we were friends at this point, and... He supported it a little bit. It wasn't like I would say, which would have worked out better. You know, it's not, he didn't come in and put in seed money and you know, just say, hey, let's go with this. It was more uh, helped out with a little bit of stuff and uh, you know, covering like some of the insurance and some things like that. And said, hey, let's, and help me get the lines because to be your own restaurant dealer, you had to do so much money a year. And so what we did is we came in and bought a lot of equipment and I did his house for him is, is basically how that worked out. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I, right in the beginning, so what I started doing. Just so I understand, yeah. right, you use him as kind of a private investor in a sense, but I mean, was his, his main payment to you was just, hey, do my house and we'll, I'm, right. I'm trying to understand yeah. how the dynamic actually worked to get things. Is that pretty much, I mean, or did he actually put in money and then get a, a portion of equity no. of, the, of the company itself? Yeah, yeah. no, he didn't He didn't put any money in. He just helped out with with aligning some of the uh, uh, some of the vendors and getting the lines set up and things like that. And then there was a guy that worked in his office um, that, so his portion was that he got a piece of the business of where I sold the equipment online. So what I started doing is this I point, see. Right, eBay was eBay was a lot different than what eBay is now. So you used to be able to, you could go on eBay and you could sell equipment or sell anything you wanted. And you were able to communicate with the people that were buying the stuff from you or asking things very easily, right? They didn't, you know, nowadays it's very hard to, they, they don't want you talking outside of eBay because of course, if you make a transaction off eBay, they don't get any money. Right. This, right at, yep. at, at this point in time, it was very easy to, to just start emailing right with people and all that kind of stuff. So what I did is I set up, uh, you know, they have the eBay stores. So I didn't know it at the time, but looking back, what had happened is I set up an eBay store and I called it Crestron Wizards Corner. And what happened because of that is Google ranked eBay, of course, very high on their search page. And because I had Crestron in my name, 
if someone went on eBay and was like, had just gotten a quote for Crestron, says, hey, I'm going to find out what I buy this stuff for. And they typed it into Google. I came up on the top of the page for free. I didn't pay for SEO. I didn't know that. <laughs> and, was this uh, intentional or was this one of these accidents no, no, that worked accident. out in your favor? Total okay. accident. Yeah. I love it. You I know? love it. <laughs> so that worked out. I'm getting these lists and people are asking me about buying it. I'm like, okay. So I buy the equipment. I'm selling it. You're not really supposed to. I mean, it's not illegal, but I mean, you know, with the, the company agreement, you know, they want people to be in territories. So I sold it. I just sold it straight out for a while. would ship it out to people. And, uh, and then I got some people overseas that were asking me to ship it. And they were, because of, I'll be glad to go into detail on it, but because of a few things, the price difference was huge between here and the UK and things like that. So I would sell it and make good money and they were still getting it at a really good deal. So, be, you know, and we talked about that before, you know, it became more- Is that where the, the currency and the value of the dollar Correct. and all that? Yeah. yeah. So, so we, yeah. yeah. Uh, we won't turn this to an economics podcast, but just because of currency values, is that the, a, a fair yeah. way to say it? Um, there yeah. is, you, yeah, I, yeah, that's good stuff. I mean, I, I, I sort of did the same thing in college with the whole book thing. I mean, do it as you know, different factors and stuff. There's just uh, differences in pricing, and then you can you can play the spreads on them. So that's basically what you were doing here, right? But Correct. your reason was just because of currency valuations around the world created a profit window for you to take part in. Is that a fair? Right. No, that's okay. exactly right. So, and then, you know, so what happened was because and, uh, just, of this. Just, I, I, wanna, I wanna make sure, none of this is illegal, right? Everything you're no. doing was legal. So, I mean, it's not no, like correct. Jeff or I, we're not saying go out and do illegal stuff. Every, you just found, like I said, you a found a loophole. You found something in the system that was totally legal that you decide, and that's what business really is, right? You need to find things that, because you're, let me let me put it this way, the, the people from the UK, for example, did they like the price they were getting from you? Yep. And you like the price you were getting from them, right? Exactly. So that's what I, that's what we call a win-win proposition. So I mean, that's what business is. You find win-wins. If you have a happy customer and you're happy with what you're getting in return, well, well there you go. So I mean, yep. it's not like you're screwing over people from the UK. They were pleased with the price you gave them. Just, right. you know, so there we go. You were creating a good situation for them. Yep. So it was, you know, it's, it's just a situation of, and looking back, I can easily see this now, but, you know, the, the things I try to keep in mind now and hopefully teach the kids and they figured out is, you know, you have to recognize opportunity, take advantage of opportunity when you can, but you also have to recognize that it's just like in the market. If there's a big gap, that gap's not going to stay for long. All levels, I mean, all markets level out, right, at some point. So, yep. you know, if there's a big opportunity, there's some big gap that you can take advantage of uh, in your favor. And like you said, and, and it's a win-win for everybody, do it. But just know that that window's gonna going to close. I mean, that's, you know, it, it's, which, it's not going to last forever. <laughs> which to circle back to your original point, that's why you need to diversify. Right. Right. So I, mean, I had, that's why I got through 2008. Uh, you know, I had a lot, I was selling to China, South Africa, the UK, Germany, France. Uh, so, and that was just a part of my business. So, you know, that alongside with, I was blessed enough to pick up a, uh, a large client that was doing a project right around that time too. So that's kind of how I got through the downturn. Um, was because of that. 
and you know, cause I made my market bigger by being on the internet and I could have taken it and done a lot more with it. Uh, but you know, the guys, the guys kind of knew who I was at Crestron. They, they closed the loophole. Okay. You've got to, uh, you, you've got to install the equipment that you sell and you've got to, uh, uh, the other thing they wanted me to do, uh, was, you know, own the business, whatever. So what I did was in the U.S., I started traveling. Uh, went out to California, did jobs there, did jobs in Canada. This is stuff I personally did. So Canada, California, Texas, uh, up and down the East Coast a lot, Atlanta, you know, all that stuff. So I was going around and with the crew at this point, and we were... And that's because they closed the, closed the loophole on well, you. Well, it's a combination. One was they closed the loophole, and the other was... Uh, that I did have clients that were asking me, uh, you know, they were like, I can buy this equipment from you, but I can't get anybody to put it in. Can you come put it in? And we're like, sure, and all that stuff. That so, sounds like that word you were just using, an opportunity. Well, yeah, sure, I can I can come, and I'm assuming you price that into your prices then. Right, yeah. So I, I guess the point I wanna make is to listeners, it's not like Jeff was like, boo-hoo, woe is me, they closed the loophole, that's it, there's nothing I'm gonna, all right, game. No, you just, he adjusted. He found other opportunities. He noticed other opportunities. Hence, like he just explained, the customers wanting him to come to them. So he grasped onto those opportunities. That is how you grow in business. That is how you grow really in anything is you can't play, oh, something changed. It's okay, now where are the new opportunities at? And you gotta locate other different angles that are gonna present opportunities to you. So, I mean, I commend you for, uh, because in this day and age, the attitude seems to be, all right, well, I give up or, okay, well, you know, it's all rigged against me or just, but no, you just found other opportunities. So, okay, you're now you're traveling all over the country. So that now, right. where did this crew come from? Did you have to go out and hire these people? Cause that's part of business that I know I always find fascinating is how did this little crew come together that you now have? Yeah. So at this time, most of the crew came from the place that I was working at in Raleigh. Cause like I told you, you know, the, the, uh, Management is change management, and the way they operate is changing. Uh, so I had people uh, that came to work with me that used to work for them. Uh, so you know, I hired within the talent pool that I knew existed. Now were these like ten ninety nine or W two? No, they were W two. So you had flat out employees then. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So you're creating jobs all of a sudden. Think yeah. about that. <laughs> there is Jeff starts off in the textile. Goes kaput on his first business try. He kept at it, and now the man's creating jobs. Man, this is good stuff. So, all right. So now you literally have employees as your crews. So I'll let you pick it up from there. Yeah. So you know we're going around, and one of the the side benefits, which it had already been one, but by seeing the rest of the country, you know, getting a different view on how people do things, how they operate, their uh, the culture, because you know the U.S. is so big, you know, compared like to Europe, you know, it's there's obviously different cultures everywhere. And this was early, like I said, this is early on, you know, everybody isn't on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and, <laughs> yes, you know, yep. you know, cause if I'd been smart, I would have just gotten in with one of those, you know, <laughs> and made a gazillion dollars. But, uh, you know, so to actually experience these things, you had to go out and do it. And, um, so that was really big. Um, I like to talk, which is obvious. And so, uh, you know, these clients out, all, all my clients were obviously very successful people. And, um, so I would meet with them and, and, 
you know, ask them about business and how they got where, just like we're doing now, really kind of, hey, how'd you do this? And Right, shooting the breeze. Right, yeah, how'd you make it and that kind of thing. Um, so that was that was a very good experience. Um, you know, went to, did a job in Hawaii, went there like nine times. That was kind of nice. Uh, You've gone on Hawaii nine times? Yeah. That's good stuff. Not, I mean, I, I, I understand if I'm treading on nah. you know, too many details, but I mean, what would one of these systems, what would you charge for one of these systems? So that system was, that system was about a half a million dollars, I think. Um, so that's $500,000, right? Yeah. That you would put yeah. in? Yeah. And then what, I mean, what profit margins? I mean, what kind of, what are you walking 35. away with that? Um, so when it's all said and done, ultimately we ended up with around a 22 to 23% profit margin after everything. On a $500,000 system. Right. There you go. And you, how many of these systems were you doing per we're month, doing a, per year? We, we were doing a bunch, you know, it was, uh, you know, probably looking back on it, still got caught a little bit in the trap of, you know, Hey, I'm focusing more on high end than, which was hard to have cookie cutter stuff with the big systems. It's a lot easier now, but at that time it was difficult. I was there. One of the times I was there was during the big earthquakes. I kind of times when I was there, that was 2006, 2000, into, into 2006, I think sounds right. Anyway, so that, this is about the time I was doing these projects. So, um, you know, then we, 2007 so this was growth years you know it was growing pushing up towards 2008 right everybody had yep. money yada yada so i come back we do a job um we do a job for an individual that ends up being a million two and i'd gone out and met with them <clears throat> and so i sold them some equipment first and then um went back and we ended up doing the house and we'd redo everything and yada, yada, yada. And this is just, uh, you know, wasn't sure what the guy got. It was a fun, it was a fund manager that did, uh, uh, you would put money with him and he would pay out a guaranteed percentage. And, uh, <laughs> so you can kind of probably guess where this is going. So, yeah, you know, so I'm doing that project. I Go ahead. I was going to say, I have my suspicions. Yeah. So, you know, it was, uh, but he'd been doing it so long. I mean, he'd been, he'd been a fund manager for, or say fund manager, an investment person, whatever, for 17, 18 years. And, you know, I'm, and I'm like, damn, you know, it's just, I mean, spending money and all this. I was trying to, my guess was, I thought he laundered money for the mob or something. That's <laughs> my guess. At the I mean, time. I'm think. I mean, as soon as I hear of guaranteed payouts and guaranteed percentages, that that's what sent up my alarm bar alarm yeah. bells. When it comes to the when it comes to the marketing guarantees, it's uh. So I mean, did yeah, did you ever yeah, have any oh, conclusions yeah, yeah. on what was going on here? <laughs> yeah. So I was getting uh, married for the second time in 2008. Uh, we were doing another part of the property. It was about 200 grand left out on it. I go to Mexico for my honeymoon. I get a call. Don't run the card anymore. SBI's here. FBI's here. Yada, yada, yada. Ponzi scheme, $25 million. And uh, so, yeah, I got left on the hook for a couple, about 250. 
Ooh. And, uh, and yeah. this guy uh, probably went to jail, I would assume, Ponzi yeah. scheme. Yeah, yeah, he's still there. So he got 30 years to life. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and for you listeners out there, if you hear in the same sentence, guaranteed percentages, guaranteed returns, and stock market in the same sentence, that's <laughs> if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. So I guess from a business perspective, you just you just got hung out to dry for two two hundred fifty thousand. There's not much you can do with that, then, right? It just it right. is what it is. Right. So what we ended up doing, you know, of course we took it. You know, part of that was figured in. You know promise future profits however you want to look at it so part of it wasn't as much a hit to you know write to us that we owed but it was the profit of a project uh, obviously that we had devoted resources to and uh you know thought we were going to do so that was part of the hit and then of course there was equipment and everything that we lost that was a was a real fiscal hit so that took a few years of uh, recovering from, you know, kept writing it off the books and would never really recover. I guess you just move on. But uh, So it's know. not like it put you out of business. It, it definitely no. left the company sore, but it's not like it was a, a game-ending injury or anything like that. No, it was a learning you know, learning experience where you don't. A bruise. Uh, it was a big bruise. Right. Is that a good way to kind of yeah, yeah. classify so it? You, All right. Yeah, always stay ahead of the money. Is that right? Don't get behind the money. Am I saying that in the right order? You know, I think basically, so. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you're dealing in a business where you provide a product, you never want ownership of that product to go from you to the client until you've been paid for it. That's bottom line. And, you know, it's just, it's, uh, you know, if you do that, then you, you need to know you're accepting the risk that you may never get that. That's, you know, best way to probably put it. Is there any upside to not, to not doing what you're doing? Does that give you some advantage um, to kind of take on that risk, or is it pretty much unnecessary risk that's being taken on? Un, yeah, that's definitely unnet. If if you provide equipment somewhere that you haven't been paid for uh, to an individual, especially, then you're just taking unnecessary risk because you're not going to get uh, you know you're not going to get any additional profit or anything like that. Now with okay. institution work, now with commercial work, anyone that's thinking about getting into work where they deal with, especially if you deal with uh, government, whether it's uh, universities or, uh, you know, we see we were doing work for the, uh, you know, the U.S. military and things like that. Now, those, you've got to carry it. I mean, that's just a requirement. You're going to carry anywhere from 30 to 90 days. <clears throat> um, but it's a big difference because you're getting a purchase order up front we're basically getting you know, a promissory note of, hey, you're going to get paid, that kind of thing. So that's something you've got to do uh, when dealing with those guys. But, yeah, on the residential side or individuals, I mean, if you, you know, if you, if you deliver something, it's, you're basically giving it to them until you've been paid for it. Which, and, so, and you said, summarize, and, but, and there's no need to do that because it's not like you're correct. able to offer better prices or you're either get more profit. It's just, it's literally an unnecessary risk. That's being taken exactly. on. So, oh, that's, exactly. That, that's interesting. Now, I, before I forget, at, at its peak or whatever you want to call it, how many employees did you actually have as part of your company? Uh, we never, you know, we never got too crazy. We did, uh, let's see, you know, like six, you know, six okay. to eight, right? I mean, you know, we, we didn't get too carried away. Um, yeah, that's growing now. You know, the guy I sold it to, uh, 
is doing a great job with it. He's building up the local business, which is something I didn't really do. You know, I just kept my long distance business mostly, but uh, he's building up the long, local business and doing smaller jobs also. So they're hiring, they're looking to get a couple more people now. Um, so he's doing a good job with that. And um, how did you get the customer base that you did? Was it mainly word of mouth? Cause you had mentioned this was before social media. So I mean, from just a marketing, business customer base expansion where where are these customers coming from so to begin with almost 100 percent, my business was built off of ebay uh ebay was because like i said because the rules were different you could do things differently than now uh i used ebay as an advertising tool i'd put out a few of the products they'd stay on there people would search they'd find it i'd email back and forth with them we'd come up with a list and i'd you know, do their job or whatever. So, you know, I definitely use, I use that as my, uh, my way of finding new, new business. And then after that word of mouth is a massive one. It still is. I mean, word of mouth is always the, uh, the cheapest, you know, way you're going to marketing, you're going to have obviously. So right. That's, still, that's mouth, still a big one. Yeah. But yeah. word of mouth doesn't come cheap. I mean, obviously you had word of mouth because Dare I say you were actually doing good work and you treated your clients, you know, properly? Is that right? A safe assumption? Yeah, yeah. And okay. you know, some sometimes to a fault. So if you go out now, a big difference is something we did, and uh, you know, Josh that bought the business he continues to do, and something we did differently was, you know, a lot of times, especially in the construction business, if you hire someone to do something, they give you an estimate, and they say, okay, to uh, add this garage is going to be $20,000 or whatever. Then, you know, you go down the road, you start adding in the garage, start doing things. And the next thing you know, it's, oh, we had to, uh, you know, we had an expense doing this or expense doing that. And your 20000 grows to 25000 or whatever, right? That happens a lot in the construction business and probably other businesses too. But uh, so something big that we had is we never did that. So if we gave you a quote of, you know, be it a big quote, if we gave you a quote of $150,000 to do your system and that's what it got done for, Uh, you know, so the only overages we've ever charged anybody in, I guess 15 years it's been almost, something like that, is for actual change orders. Never, never charge a client for something that came out of our pocket because we forgot it or lost something or something was more difficult than it was supposed to be or, you know, whatever. And is that, it sounds like, is that kind of a competitive advantage that you build in for yourself just from a, a customer service perspective that yeah. probably made that word of mouth that much better? Yeah, that's a, that's a huge, huge difference, you know. Uh, you know, and I had a client that was out of Atlanta and one of the things he used to say, because we he was, a, he was a lawyer, but he was a uh did really very difficult and large cases and you know something we would sit around and talk about we had a lot of hours of talking about business and things and one of the things he always said was you know i use you because you answer the phone <laughs> that's nice <laughs> and, and you know what that is i mean you you know if you've and so that's the thing now that's kind of got us into the service side of business is you know why i'm kind of pursuing that and that that in now is you know people that have money and have expendable income, they ex- they expect a certain level of service, 
and care and being able to get in touch with someone and things to get done. You know, whereas, you know, I might want something done and, you know, I'm not going to pay a guy twice as much to get it done this week than to go ahead and do it next week. Somebody with expendable income and wants it done, maybe that's not a problem for them. You know, so that's uh, that's the business I'm exploring now, that that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm still doing, as you know, we talked about before, is doing the consulting on what I still do, you know, taking care of a couple of clients. But, um, you know, just yeah, I did want to ask you about that because you mentioned that yeah. on the other podcast we did. And I was curious, how exactly does that work from a consulting? Because you sold the business, but yet you're yeah. still kind of part of it. So I guess walk, walk me through um, just how you arrange all this, you know, the consulting angle, we'll call it. Right. So there's a couple different ways that happens. One is, uh, you know, so clients that I still take care of, uh, like one of the universities, for example, they're putting together, you know, they're putting in a new, uh, you know, they're putting in a new uh, facility. They're putting a new facility in and they need things done, yada, yada, yada. Let's say so there's two scenarios there. One is early in the stage and, uh, you know, the, uh, the person doing the, the architect is looking for, you know, just to add to their blueprints. They're just looking for specs, right? So I might come in and I'll charge a fee and, and do all the work up and everything like that. With no guarantees we're going to end up getting the job, but, you know, just to do all the design and engineering and, you know, on paper, this is what you need. This is where conduits have to be put. You know, these are where speakers are going, et cetera, et cetera. And the flips, the other side is either fast forward a few months on the same project, or maybe there's a project that didn't get a design done or someone else did a design that lives somewhere else in the country or whatever. We come in, put together a proposal. Uh, and then at that point, I'm just like a salesperson. I've got a set percentage uh, that I'm getting from the company that I used to own. And, you know, I just hand that off and say, hey, here's your, uh, uh, this is the proposal for such and such. And then they handle it and take care of all the installation, all that. And then I go out and uh, do just like I would during a sales process, you know, meet with the client, make sure everything's being taken care of. Uh, some cases go to weekly meetings uh, about the project, depending on how large it is, uh, that kind of thing. So basically, you're a third-party salesman. That's base. I mean, essentially, right, you go good, out, you right. get it, you get a job, and then you take it back to your former company and say, "Hey, here's the job prepped, ready to go, bow on top." Now you get the job done, and I'll continue to support from a customer service perspective. Is that essentially That's how correct. you have it structured? Right. And so what I do with him is this is it's an exclusive thing, which I'm happy to do because you know, I'm trading stocks and doing other things, but. You know, if this was going to be my only income and I was uh, looking to grow that business, uh, then probably what I would, you know, then that would be available. Maybe something where I would make it so that people countrywide knew that I do this service and would, you know, do designs for them and that kind of thing and engineer their plans and figure it up. But you know, what I'm doing is just strictly uh, uh, I'm taking care of the certain client basis that base that I kept and any word of mouth or referrals from that client base. That's all I'm doing. Okay, nice. And this is just all, now did you get any brand new customers or are these all customers and people you've worked with in the past? Uh, 
Well, I just got a just got a new one a couple of weeks ago because of the architect firm that that uh, I deal with on one of the other jobs. So, so I'm getting so more word, yeah. word, word of mouth then still is that yeah. in motion? Love it. Yeah, yeah, word of mouth, and I still go to the um, I still go to the the little socials. You know, that's something if you're so if I was going into a new business right now, two things I would do. One, I would look up the meetup app and I don't know if you've heard of that. It's uh, no, no. as far as I know, it's not a hookup app, but for what I use it for, <laughs> uh, it's called meetup just like sounds M E E T U P. And you put in the city you're in and you can type in any interest you have. And like here in Raleigh, large population, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I mean, there's a ton, right? So you can type in, uh, there's these groups that get together at bars to do nothing but play board games. Uh, there's groups that get together for, uh, I went to one where they were talking about how to uh, do better with C++, which is, you know. Yeah, programming software, stuff. Programming right? language. Yeah, I went to that one and almost the whole thing was nothing but Russians. It was interesting. So, <laughs> um <laughs> so I went to that and uh and then so anyway so anything you come up with type it in if you're in a large city nine times out of ten whatever interest you have there's already a meetup group and it's exactly that they meet up usually averages once a month uh you know usually at some social gathering place whether it's a you know a bar or whatever there's one I'm going to I'm going to one for options actually that's at a uh, library but I, oh, yeah, I, I bet those are going to be all Russians there too, probably. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But that, that's kind of stereotypical. Stock market, a bunch of geeks, and they're meeting at the library. So there you go. Right. So, you know, all kinds of different things. And uh, I was going to look up who was getting to talk. But anyway, so. Uh, that is actually a really good bit right. of advice. So your first step would be the app is called Meetup. And yep. to just go and. To network essentially is your first bit of advice. Network. The meetup right. app makes it very, very easy and very efficient to network. Yeah, because there's a couple of things you're going to do, right? If you want to get into a new business, you're either going to have to go work for a business, which is a good option, especially if you're young. You know, go get some experience and meet people, or you know, it's somehow, some way, you're going to need to network with other people that are in the business. So that's a really good way. And then uh, here it's called Network Raleigh. I'm sure there's ones just like it all over the country but and what these people do is they charge for theirs but i think the last one i went to was like no more than twenty dollars i think it was like 10 or 15 bucks and there again we went we met at a bar uh they make sure that only one person from each industry is there so you're not there meeting other people competing with someone else in your industry um and let's see i got i think it was around five o'clock Five, five, thirty, six, maybe. Anyway, so you get there. There were about twenty people. There was some finger food provided. You networked with other people. Eighty uh, percent of the people ended up going, going home. I stayed. Some other people stayed. We hung out. The bar filled up with college kids because it was right near NC State, and uh, I was there till two in the morning. Right. So, um, you know, the flip side is if you're single, <laughs> networking things are good to go to also, but. Uh, yeah, so networking events, you know, you meet other people, get, you know, and sometimes it's the same old thing. Hey, here's my business card. You never hear from them again, that kind of thing. But um, a lot of times, at the very least, 
you're going to grow your LinkedIn stuff. Uh, you might meet somebody who knows you're going to need in the future, uh, or maybe they need you or whatever. I mean, I've had calls come back in from all kinds of uh, places I never expected to get them. So that's a good one too. Um, and then there's usually some sort of uh, organization in most things, right? So like for what we do with like, there's a Raleigh Home Building Association. So there's a home building association in every city. And yep. uh, so, you know, so if you were doing something that you would join that. So it's same, same type of idea, but be involved in something in the community uh, get your name out, you know. That's, that's and this enough. is the, none of this is staged. I promise you, cross my heart, hope to die, all that stuff. Jeff has not heard Paul's interview, and Paul said the exact same huh. things to grow it in the bit. Get out there, knock on doors. In a nutshell, network. You've got to network with people in order to get to where you want to go, and that's literally two business builders in a row that uh, have given almost. In fact, I don't blame you if you think that Jeff probably listened to Paul and you think that he's saying, because I mean, almost, I'm having a major case of deja vu here, but, um, so I think there might be some truth. If you want to build something, find other people and network with it, and um, you know, good things can uh, can come from that. So that's, that's good stuff there. And I guess right now, I know from our other podcast, but walk, Walk uh, listeners through because this is what this is kind of the other idea. Is, hey, let, let's build wealth, and a great way to build wealth is just get many streams of income. So, I mean, right. walk everybody through what your current streams of income now that you've, um, unless there's something else that you wanted to touch on. I don't want to no, make you no, skip good. over anything, but because um, so we know you have your consulting, and then what are these streams of income? Right. So, you know, along the way, something we didn't talk about much was uh, what we have on the other podcast, but is that. You know, the love of cars never really died out. I built a, uh, as a hobby, I built a 66 Mustang into a uh, uh, large business. Uh, I mean, sorry, I took a 66 Mustang and built it into a show winner. Uh, and this was, but the, the twist and something I did with it was made it where it was all controlled by touchscreen. So it's all Crestron controlled. Huh. Uh, you, you, that, I love it, man. Now you're bringing two <laughs> passions together to give yourself, well, it sounds like the, you, you won the award, for, so you got the win. Yeah, yeah. so did good with that. Uh, That's built, awesome. Built that thing up. A lot of engineering went into that car. A lot of money uh, went into that car. But um, it's kind of a challenge. So got that done and figured out. I did end up. I didn't think I would ever sell it, but I did end up selling it last year. Uh, I built a 72 F100 pickup truck. Can you truck. tell us what you sold it for? Is that too too personal? Yeah, that's uh, it was six figures, but. Uh, okay, we'll leave it at, that's good. That's that's yeah. that's that's close enough, so there you go. Yeah. So I built that, um, and then so kind of went in, uh, I guess a couple years now, maybe a little less. Anyway, went in with that, buddy of mine from the stock trading stuff and uh that had made a lot of money the ponzi scheme guy no <laughs> yeah the ponzi scheme guy <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> no, no the other guy so i, I don't know with, man you meet up with the ponzi scheme then you're meeting up with a bunch of russians now nah, yeah, i don't know this there's is collusion uh, there's collusion yeah, i don't over, know there's something right? going on here man maybe the fbi's gonna be knocking on your door next but the, sorry to cut, yeah, i just i had to create the bad joke there but anyways you met up with your your, your buddy yeah so you know and he likes cars too and uh so he did put some seed money into uh 
doing a couple builds. So we built a 66 Corvette convertible and we built a 71 Challenger convertible. Uh, the 66 Vet was built as a uh, thing we're trying out. It's a car, it's a university theme. So it's got a lot of things that uh, make it like the uh, North Car- University of North Carolina. Uh, so we're going to, we have a couple other Corvettes. We're going to build like an Alabama car, maybe a Michigan car, whatever. We're going to do some different theme stuff. Uh, but all the cars we build, we change the chassis, the suspension. We put engines like coming the new cars in them. So they look old, but everything else is uh, built to ride and perform like new cars. So that's kind of a hobby turn business thing. Uh, and we've got, a, I went to the, finally got to go back to the racetrack. Because uh, we're building some drag cars too, so I got to go back and race uh, Thursday night. Uh, took my girls with me, and uh, first time they'd been to a racetrack too, and uh, it was just a test and tune night. It wasn't like a you know serious race or anything. It was just running the car for the first time, so that was fun to get back out there and kind of race a little bit. And uh, did that, and uh, you know we'll see where that goes. So that's a, that's a revenue stream. Uh, you know, trading options, uh, which, you know, it, you know, I've had it open, uh, you know, it's a sea of red looking at me. So maybe that's not a revenue stream, but, uh, uh well, we know from our podcast, that's, uh, that's time, time matters there. So, uh, right, right. right now it's just a snap, snap shot yeah, in time. Yeah. Had we done this that- tomorrow, you could be saying a sea of green. I mean, with enough time. Oh, so. Well, and this is a good example, you know, we'll go into this in detail, but, you know, I was telling you about how everyone's software operates, you know, and these guys, you know, I, I rolled some things around in Google today and on paper right now, it shows me as a big loss, but I wrote, wrote down somewhere the profit I took off of it earlier. So if I factored that. That's right. Yeah. Then, I forget. Yep. I remember you and Chess <laughs> talking about that. Yep. Yeah. I hate, hate that. But anyway, but yeah, yes, yeah, so it's just a. You know, just a time thing. But anyway, so the market, uh, been interested in that a long time. Of course, you, as you know, I'm doing that foolish time uh, kind of now. So uh, that's revenue stream. And the doing the service business, excuse me, which is kind of an off, offshoot of the last business, which is, you know, handling things for, for clients with expendable incomes and, uh you know, doing the service and taking care of, it's kind of a more or less a property manager kind of thing, but, uh, you know, being available to take care of clients needs whenever. So that's, uh, could, could you give me an example? Yeah. Just out of how, yeah, so how the property. Yep. Yeah. All right. So like I've got this client, uh, and you know, hits me up and they put new door, you know, some new doors have been put on the house a while back. No one ever stained them. Hey, no one can stain my door. Sure. So, you know, I call up a buddy of mine that, or guy I've used before a lot too, that runs a paint company. I know he's going to take a good job. I mean, do a good job. He goes by, looks at it, gives me a price, gets handled. And, you know, I get my percentage off of that and client's happy. So, okay. Yeah. So I understand, right. There's a, I'm assuming these are higher end people. Yeah. Correct. Okay, so a higher end person, uh, would you do they have a disposable income? Is that yeah. a, a assumption? Yeah, too? He's, okay. Yeah, he's worth around a hundred million. Okay, all right. So this makes more and more sense. So, hey, I need project X done. 
I don't feel like spending any time to get Project X done, so let me call Jeff and he will get it done for me. And then exactly. you just kind of play the middleman. Is that how that business works? That, exactly. So to give you a good example, what I'm doing with that business is I'm playing thumbtack for somebody with money, right? Because if- Yeah, ex exactly. That's exactly what it is. It's just like, you know, if you need something done or I need something done, depending on what it is, either A, we're gonna do it ourselves, or B, we're gonna maybe get on thumbtack or we're gonna call a friend and we're gonna get a hold of this person, we're gonna call them and they're gonna come out and we're gonna meet with them and we're gonna, settle on a price and then it's going to get done and yada 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 these guys they don't want to meet anybody right they're you know it's a whole different their, their story. time is literally money and they're exactly. wasting time probably okay that that's super interesting and that and that makes a whole lot of sense my follow-up question would be how do you meet these people that need these random jobs done is this a a, a byproduct of the the audio business and all that sort of stuff or but where are these clients actually coming from okay well the clients right now yes are coming from uh like the guy for a hundred million dollars where did this guy come from yeah so we put you know he spent a million dollars with me and built a compound a few years ago so that's how i know him built a compound what is what is a compound? uh uh when you have like a lot of acreage and multiple buildings so we call it a compound oh okay gotcha okay <laughs> i'm thinking like I don't think weed is legalized in North Carolina yet, but maybe I'm, maybe, okay. So right, just right, right. everything's legal though, right? This compound is legal? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, man, I don't know, you got it. You North Carolinans, what do you, you built a compound. I, listeners, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm the only one that, I was like, wait a second, but uh, all right. So you've done business with them in the past. I mean, right. do you have any new customers for this property management thing coming in or are these is this pretty much just, um, from old existing contacts yeah, made right, along the way. Yeah, right now this is all old existing contacts. It's kind of okay. a byproduct. This is one of those things that, um, you know. It's the, super clever. That's why I'm asking so many questions about it. I, yeah, I mean, yeah. no, it's one of the, clearly it, identified a niche, which makes sense, but I mean, just, yeah, it's fascinating. Right, so it's just one of those things that hey, it's an opportunity. It's not, a, it's not a bad opportunity. It's not something that's gonna, uh, shouldn't, take up a ton of time. So, hey, you know, if you can, you know, do a few things and make people happy, there you go. And, you know, maybe it grows into something else, maybe it doesn't kind of thing. And, um, so you kind of catch them. It's actually a good time for us, like we were talking about on the other one, doing these podcasts. It's kind of at an early stage that, uh, you know, whenever you've been doing something for a long time, even if it ends well, like it did with selling the company, they're still clean up and, you know, things that you'd like to get back organized and all that. So I'm kind of in the middle, on the tail end of that and, uh, you know, picking which path I'm going to devote a lot of my time to, which at this point, uh, you know, the most time I'm devoting is towards the uh, day trading but or you know, options trading. So, but these other things are still here and uh, they generate income. And if I can figure out how to grow them and still have a, uh, still have a life and that's good too because one thing you know, going back to where we were talking about the kids earlier um, you know I missed uh, I gave up a lot of my time uh, with the kids early on with the boys when they were younger because I was building the business flying around a lot I think there was one summer I was only in town including weekends like five days so you know gave up a lot of that that I regret uh, that was a large cost you have to factor in, um, you know, 
but they're happy now anyway. And they got you know, they had a, a lot better things than I would have had growing up. So I don't know if it's yeah. A, it's always a fine know, line between uh, you know family, business, time, and just all that. But uh, nobody can accuse you of not working hard. Uh, that's for sure. And uh, you have a lot of stuff going on. And uh, I learned a lot. And looking at the time, we'll we'll wrap this up. We've been already talking for like an hour and a half, so that's nice. That that's pretty crazy. But I know you've you said you'd love to come back to the other podcast. Would you be willing to come back to this one at some point yeah. down the road, just to shoot the breeze again and just yeah, that that'd be great. Talk about whatever's going on. Yeah. This this I feel like there's even more we could talk about. But um, I mean, we'll we'll try to keep these lengths halfway reasonable, and I think an hour and a half right around there is uh, a, a solid amount. But I mean, was there anything else that you wanted uh, lessons learned or anything that? Because uh, I don't mean to cut you off. I want to nah. make sure that. Um, well, I did. I did but, ask. I did ask my text my son earlier and asked him if there was any, one of my sons. Uh, asked him if there was anything he learned from me growing up. He said it was mostly about learning from you that everyone has something they can talk to you about something to relate to, which you mostly did by constantly introducing me to people you knew and being that link to show me. That's what he sent me. So, uh, I can you read I that thought, again? Cause that was, that yeah. was, that was, I, I feel like people should listen to that. Cause that yeah. sounded like, uh, there was a lot of value in that. Yeah, he said, uh, he said it was mostly about learning from you that everyone has something they can talk to you about. So I take from that. Everyone has something they can contribute. Uh, something that you can relate to, which you mostly did by constantly introducing me to people you knew and being that link to show me. So basically I, you know, made sure that he, and I did, I took them on, uh, install trips and stuff with me starting from when they were like 11, 12 years old. And you want to know how I, can I, can I share with you how I interpret that? Yeah. It sounds like you taught them how to recognize opportunity. That's yeah. kind of, what I what it sounds like he's getting at is everybody has something to say. Everybody can offer up, and even if it's just you learning something, sure that person may not give you money in the sense of opportunity, but they may give you just a little ounce of knowledge that you can later on later on in your journey leverage into some sort of opportunity. So I yeah. I think that's that's some good stuff there. That, that's my take on it. I mean, yeah, I agree. With I that. guess this is talking and turn into a philosophical debate <laughs> or discussion, but uh, yeah, so that, you know, that's the. So one thing, you know, a couple of things, and I mentioned this in another podcast, I'll leave you with these couple of quotes. One thing that I was told early on that I put, I wrote down and I had it taped to my mirror for years was no one cares if you're rich, but you, I've told you that one before. Yep. And, that, and that's a good one. And the other one a guy told me was that you're going to have to lose a fortune before you can make and keep one. And uh, that one was pretty true too. You know, I had to lose some money along the way. Sometimes that's the best. You don't want to, but a lot of times that's what uh, teaches you, right? Is uh, you know, there's losses, and just like with life, you know, those losses are what teach you more than the gains. You know, gains seem uh, uh, easy, but losses hurt. So. Yeah, and I and I think fortune can again my you know very my very basic mind interpretation. I think fortune can be not necessarily money, lose a fortune, but just lose time. Yeah. Lose, uh, oh. you know, you know, just gain almost headaches, which is also kind of a loss of a fortune. Just, I mean, life in general, like you said, I mean, fortune doesn't necessarily mean um, nope. money, but yeah, absolutely. If you think that you're going to start anything and be flawless in it and not lose money, not lose time, not gain headaches, you're, you're living in some sort of fantasy world yeah. because uh, that's just not quite how the world works but um i mean Ever, that's yeah. I, I think i shared this in the last podcast uh, that i did with paul but um 
from the movie The Founder. Have you ever mm. seen that? With it's oh, about yeah. the story of McDonald's. Yeah. yeah. I love the quote. Yeah, and I was a, I was a overnight success, twenty years in the making. So yeah. I mean, just uh, <laughs> that that's been a quote that has, has really stuck with me. But yeah, those are uh, definitely ways to to look at things. And um, yeah, I just I don't I don't really have any other questions right now. I'm trying to think. I would just say that uh, I think you gave a very blunt, a very candid perspective of, yeah, things didn't start off necessarily easy for you, but you just kept at it. And because you kept at it, things just started to work out. But, you know, keeping at it was you making a lot of effort, you networking, you <laughs> you learning. Yeah, I can program that. Okay, do it. Uh, okay, well, I guess I got to figure out how to program this. I mean, you just figuring stuff out and that's kind of half the battle right there. Yeah, it's always been a little bit of that, right? Uh, of doing things other people weren't willing to do, you know, I very, very much, uh, risk averse. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a big risk taker. Uh, I try to do it with a little more consideration now that I'm older, but, um, but yeah, never, you've never become risk averse is what you're saying. Yeah. It's risk averse. No, I no, think I, guess I, I'm the opposite or, I don't know. I'm trying to think it's ri- <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you're saying though. Is you, you you're doing probably more calculated risks now? Is that a, a little more? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Better, better. Okay. Better with that now than uh, than previously. Um, but you know that's what it is. You live and you learn. Yep, yep. All right, well, Jeff, I appreciate you taking time out. I'm gonna hold you to it. We'll bring you back at some point down the line, assuming people like these interviews, which I think they will. I don't. I I enjoy them. I mean, this was super good time for me. I love to talk about. Maybe some people call it nerdy business stuff, but I just like to hear people's stories, how they build business and all that sort of stuff. But all I know is that you have created jobs in your time and that's, I don't know if there's anything more noble than that. So um, that's good stuff. And thank you again, Jeff, for hanging out. No problem. Thank you for having me. And thank you listeners. We'll see you back next week. Thank you so much for hanging out and listening. Before I go, I wanna just make your attention to a few things. First off, if you enjoyed the show, then make sure to help us out in the iTunes, especially if you could leave us a rating, that goes a long way and just assists me in getting the word out there. And I I genuinely would appreciate it. Second, if you find yourself either in debt or just feeling like your, your personal finances are kind of out of control or could be much more efficient, then I would encourage you to go to moneywithclay.com and check out the Slab Money Method. That is the course that I put together as a former process engineer that outlined every single step, step by step by step with documentation, with forms to fill out, that'll put you on the path, the exact path I used to pay off of debt and get myself to the point where not only am I debt free, but I am now able to build wealth and build wealth in an efficient uh, manner. So if you're curious and interested in that, again, moneywithclay.com and that is the slab money method. And no, this is not all some massive sales pitch when I say that it works, it truly does. And I back that up with more than words. My action behind those words is that course comes with a one year money back guarantee. So if you try it out and you're not making any progress, you're not seeing any progress, then I will refund you the cost of the course, which is very minimal to begin with. And then finally, make sure to check us out on social media, Facebook, Instagram, just look up for Money With Clay and you will see us there. Again, thanks for hanging out. I'll see you back next episode.